This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 317. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Matthew Marister. Hey, what's going on? And Matthew is the guy who recently was baptized at his church. Yes. Yeah. Good one. Good one. Yeah, yeah I got that, right? Awesome night. Awesome night. Um, still still reeling from it. It was an awesome night. <laughs> That's good, man. Um, yeah, and, and Riley is the guy who never has a clear schedule. <laughs> Schedule's always packed. Every time I'm trying to plan something with him, I can't do that day. I can't do that day. He is the <laughs> guy to pin down. So That's you, true. Donald J. Trump have comparatively busy schedules. I'm not as awesome as Donald J. They, uh, <laughs> Donald J. Trump, though. That dude's pretty cool, actually. He's cool because, uh, like, un- unlike his dad, who I think is somewhat pseudo pro gun and pseudo anti gun to a degree. You know, obviously we have the whole bump bump stock ban thing, but like Donald J. Trump actually like walks the floor at Shot Show and stuff and checks things out and thinks it's cool. I think that's cool because like gets down on the floor of the people, you know. So mm-hmm. he walked right by. Uh, I was actually doing a podcast, I think, with Jeff Gonzalez at Shot Show last year, or maybe it was the NRA show last year. But we were sitting in the uh, Stealth Gear USA booth, and all of a sudden Donald Donald J. Trump just whoop, walks right by, and I'm like, "Hey, that's pretty interesting." <laughs> anyway, cool stuff. All right, <clears throat> so uh, today's episode is the Justified Save episode for the month, this being the first Tuesday of the month. Uh, And so that means today we'll be talking about justified save stories from across the nation. By justified saves, we mean like a DGU, a defensive gun use, right? So justified use of deadly force to defend typically life. And uh, we enjoy talking about those. There's a lot of of lessons learned uh, that we can, you know, pull out of these stories and things. So uh, yeah, it should be a good episode. There's a lot of good stories here. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Today's episode is made possible and brought to you by <clears throat> Ammo Supply Warehouse. AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com is a place to check them out. Uh, great guys over there. They try to run a sharp operation. They have excellent prices on ammo. Uh, so you can go to AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. What you'll see when you land on the on the homepage is they'll actually have you choose West Coast or East Coast. And uh, so by that, they have an East Coast warehouse and a West Coast warehouse. And that's why I say West and East Coast. I mean really like West or East, and it's West or East of the Mississippi River. And so they will ship to you from whatever warehouse is closest to you or, you know, that you're on that same side of. uh, And, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a smart way to do business because they're probably saving some dinero on on the shipping charges for that ammo. Because shipping ammo is not cheap. So... Anyway, good guys, good prices, very, very competitive. Some of the best prices in the industry. Check them out, AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. And today's episode also made possible uh, by our sale we got going on this week. If you'll throw us a, a little love our way by uh, heading on over to ConcealedCarry.com, checking out our online store. We actually have a sale this week for dummy ammo. You can save 15% if you use the coupon code DUMMY, D-U-M-M-Y. We appreciate the business that you send our way. That makes it possible for us to continue doing this show. You'll note that we don't do Patreon and stuff like that. We don't 
ever ask our listeners, I'm not saying that won't ever be the case, but I don't have any plans to do anything like that. Certainly not. Uh, but uh, we, we don't ask our listeners and viewers to contribute to some sort of membership or whatever for this content. But if you will continue to shop our store, uh, maybe consider being a Guardian Nation member, that sort of thing, like that's awesome and, and helps us continue to stay in business. And uh, finally, we'll encourage you to check out the Not Your Average Gun Girl podcast. You can find them on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you might listen to podcasts. And if you're interested in, in uh, firearms training uh, as a trainer or instructor or maybe becoming one one day, you can listen to the all-new ConcealCarry.com network podcast, the Firearm Trainers podcast. All right? So, um, yeah, and Curtis, by the way, he's watching on Facebook here, and he says, I order ammo that has free shipping. And I'll tell you what, the, one of the best deals at AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com is to, they have they almost always have a 9mm and a .223 uh, special, where if you order 2,000 rounds at a time, you get free shipping. All right? And it's a, it's a good deal. If you, if you do the pricing on it, uh, compared to even other websites, it's, it's a little bit difficult to, to, to figure that out sometimes because other websites may not do the free shipping thing, right? So you got to add that in and then you got to do all the calculations. And I've done some some price checking in Ammo Supply Warehouse for good quality brass cased ammo. They don't really sell cheap stuff. They don't really do a whole lot of steel case uh, or anything like that. But for good quality brass cased ammo, which is what I prefer to shoot, they have some of the best prices anywhere if you do that 2,000 round bulk order, and it's totally worth it. All right? All righty. So uh, that's, again, our sponsors. Appreciate your support of them and of us. And uh, so without further ado, that brings us to what, Matthew? The Andrew Brinkalov self-defense case of the week. Holy smokes. Is that time already? It All right. is. Here we go. Case of the week from Law of Self-Defense. Hey folks, Attorney Andrew Branca here for Law of Self-Defense. This case of the week covers Somali refugee Mohammed Noor, who, while a Minneapolis police officer, shot and killed Justine DeMond. Noor has just been convicted of third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter for that killing, as reported in the Minnesota Star Tribune. He was acquitted of the more serious charge of second-degree murder. The facts of the case are relatively undisputed. On July 15, 2017, Ms. DeMond called 911 to report a possible rape taking place in the alley behind her home. Then Officer Noor, along with his partner, Officer Matthew Harrity, who was driving their patrol car, rolled through the alley to investigate. Ms. DeMond was approaching the patrol car when she was spotted by Noor, who was in the passenger seat of the patrol car. Noor immediately drew his service pistol and fired around across the front of his partner through the driver's side window and shot DeMond fatally in the abdomen. While the facts are relatively undisputed, their proper interpretation was not. As reported this week in the Star Tribune, quote, Prosecutors argued at trial that Noor violated his training and national police standards when he shot DeMond instead of identifying her first and addressing her verbally. Defense attorney said Noor relied on common police training to eliminate a threat when she appeared next to his squad car in the middle of the night and raised her arm in a fashion that he interpreted as an ambush, close quote. Much of the prosecution's case here focused on apparent efforts by the Minneapolis Police Department and the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension to cover up incriminating evidence in the case. Again, to quote the Star Tribune report, 
Quote, the prosecution's sprawling case against Noor raised alarming questions about Minneapolis police conduct and the BCA. Assistant prosecutors crafted a picture of police secrecy from the shooting's immediate aftermath to trial, showing that several officers turned off their body cameras at the scene, accusing a key supervisor of inventing the story that Noor and Harity heard a loud noise on their squad car before the shooting and calling out dozens of officers for refusing to speak with investigators until compelled by a grand jury. Close quote. Also unhelpful to the defense was Noor's own checkered record as a police officer. As we noted in our blog post of December 2nd, 2018, murder to charge added against ex-cop Mohammed Noor. Noor was at best a troubled officer. Quote, in two years as a police officer, Noor had three formal complaints against him, two of which, as of September 2017, are pending resolution. In a separate case from May 2017, he's being sued for allegedly assaulting a woman. Following the deadly shooting of Daman, the Star Tribune reported Noor's police training had been, quote-unquote, fast-tracked. Some suburban police departments see the cadet programs as a way to add diversity to their police forces. Noor's police training had been part of the cadet program for the Minneapolis Police Department, an accelerated seven-month program aimed at candidates who already have a college degree and wish to enter law enforcement. In September 2018, it was revealed that in 2015, two psychiatrists and other training officers had raised questions about Noor's fitness for police duty. Close quote. By the way, both the Star Tribune stories and the link to my prior blog post on Noor can be found in the text version of this case of the week. Now, in terms of self-defense law, the key element targeted here by the prosecution, and successfully so, was the element of objective reasonableness. That is, even if one takes Noor at his word and accepts that he subjectively perceived Demond as an imminent deadly force threat, was that belief objectively reasonable? Would a reasonable and prudent person under the same or similar circumstances have shared that subjective perception? A mere, quote-unquote, bare fear, an unreasonable or irrational subjective fear, is not sufficient to justify a use of force. That subjective fear, however much held in genuine good faith, must also be objectively reasonable. And objective reasonableness is evaluated by applying our powers of reason to the actual evidence available to the defendant at the time of the use of force. Was the evidence such that a reasonable and prudent person in the same or similar circumstances, would infer the presence of an imminent deadly force threat. If so, then Noor's shooting of Daman could have been said to have fallen into the category of awful but lawful self-defense shootings. It may well be that an actual threat did not exist, but the law does not require an actual threat. A reasonably perceived threat is enough. We are not required to make perfect decisions in self-defense. We're merely required to make reasonable decisions in self-defense. Reasonable decisions, even if mistaken, are sufficient to justify a use of defensive force, even deadly defensive force, assuming, of course, that the other required elements of the self-defense claim are also present. The jury in Noor's trial obviously declined to accept that Noor's perception of demand as presenting an eminent deadly force threat was an objectively reasonable perception, and they convicted him accordingly. Now, I would hope that none of us would be likely to be carrying Noor's type of baggage into any defensive use of force in which we might be compelled to participate. 
that doesn't mean that the rules applied to evaluate the lawfulness or not of our use of force will be any different than the rules applied to NOR. It's the same rules for everybody. Your use of defensive force must be objectively reasonable or your claim of self-defense justification for that use of force will fail. And given that self-defense requires at least an implicit concession that it was you who committed the underlying act, the failure of self-defense is generally a walkaway conviction for the prosecution. In closing, remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca with Law of Self-Defense. Stay safe. By the way, if you enjoy this kind of self-defense law content, I encourage you to visit the Law of Self-Defense blog at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash blog, where we always have similar content available for free, usually daily. This is such an interesting case, Matthew, because um, <clears throat> I remember when this... Uh, came out what last year sometime and uh, there was some there's some uh, footage as well uh yep. you see her come out you could see i mean I, i'm not usually one to cast uh you know uh my 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 judgment upon somebody you know without knowing all the facts uh but watching it it's, it's pretty hard to understand like how did this guy perceive this woman as a threat so what what I see here is that you had an officer on the streets that wasn't really prepared well enough to be out there doing what he was doing. Plus, he had his own personal issues, but that, I think, is almost beside the point. I think he really just was not prepared to be on the street as an, as an Absolutely. officer. Yeah, yeah, and we, I mean, obviously, this... Uh, talks about you know a, a police officer right and his lack of preparedness um, and preparation of understanding everything that goes along with being a beat cop, um, which is a lot. But I would take this and apply it the same way to civilians and say, "Are you prepared?" We we talked um, I think last week right um, with Jeff Gonzalez about like what's holding you back and, and sort of this idea of like what's keeping you from you know, pushing your training or getting more uh, training outside of just the concealed carry and, and you, you know, your concealed carry license or if there's training at all uh, required. And I think it's important to say, like, are you prepared as a civilian to be able to kind of navigate everything that's going on when you have to make these decisions on what is reasonable uh, defensive force? And I think um, we talk about it all the time, like trying to prep, prepare, and what a scenario and do this or that. Um, that's all important because without it, you go into this phase where something uh, you know presents itself and you have no point of reference whatsoever. And you may, in this case, you know, end up drawing your weapon and shooting when it's not really reasonable, or you may freeze when it's totally reasonable. Both of those come from the same, I think, root cause and that's lack of preparation. Yep. Agreed. Well, anyway, uh, I mean, so to some degree, it may not be entirely this officer's fault that he wasn't prepared because if the, it sounded like the, the department maybe made some exceptions as far as mm -hmm. getting him, you know, to a point where he was trained and, and, and released out to uh, the field. But uh, still, we all have personal responsibility to make sure that 
we ourselves, our own personal skill and knowledge is at a level that it ought to be. Uh, and, and so, you know, you, we can't always, like if we carry a gun, if we, if we do anything where lives are at stake, potentially like we need to, we need to take some personal responsibility in that as well. He may not have known what he didn't know, but, but still, yeah, we see sometimes a similar excuse used uh, by uh, civilian concealed carriers that would almost rather prefer to play dumb, you know, and pretend or to not try to understand the law. Uh, where that, I think that's really the wrong approach. So, mm-hmm. anyway, all right, we need to move right along here. Uh, so we've got a story from Dallas here, uh, specifically Ulis. I think is how you say the the town or city. And it says here, the title is, Ulysses Man Fired Shot Into Neighbor's Home While Aiming at Prowler, Police Say. The story goes, basically, <clears throat> on Sunday night, and actually, I don't remember the date of this story, but uh, actually, a few weeks ago. So it was on a Sunday night, and a man noticed a prowler around 11.30 p.m. trying to get in. He actually kicked in the front window of this man's home. That man came out of the house and fired multiple shots at the prowler while following him onto a nearby street. One of the shots missed. There's probably multiple that missed, to be frank. But one of those that did miss went into a home where inside two adults and two children were present. This is one of the great dangers of, uh, you know, anytime we fire a bullet from a gun, there is an attorney attached to every one of those, right? Uh, something could happen where if we miss our intended threat, we end up hurting somebody else. Um, if it's shown that we were negligent in our decision-making and, and or in our actions and how that was done, then we really have a problem, okay? So what I see here is a guy that should have just stayed in his home and certainly shouldn't have been firing shots while he was following this guy. Lots of uh, tactical errors there. So that's why we decided to highlight this. This is not a justified save story per se. I mean, it it started out that way. This guy certainly was allowed by law to protect and defend his home. But when he went out of his home and then followed the guy and continued firing shots, he crossed a line. Yep. That's why it lands in our what not to do. And I'm sure all you guys were shaking your head just like we were like, dude, this, this is just one bad decision after another. And Thank God that it didn't result in somebody innocent being, you know, injured uh, by this guy's, you know, reckless behavior. Absolutely. Matthew, give us our next story here. Chicago Tribune cops, concealed carry license holder, suspected robber, fatally shoot each other. Yeah, this is a tragic case. So um, what happens here is uh, a guy is uh, on the phone with his son. Um, and he's going to fix his son's uh, like a water heater or something in, in his apartment. And uh, so he's on the phone with his son who's not at the at the location. He's away from the location. The, the father's at the location. Um, and then he hears uh, kind of a struggle and, and um, he hears gunshots and that's it. And then he can't, he, you know, his father doesn't respond. So he calls a couple people that are there and they say, you know, they see somebody outside. They think it's a, a, a you know, a young male on the ground. It looks like he was shot um, and they don't see, they only see one, one person. So the son thinks, okay, you know, my father, who's a concealed carrier, has a firearm, um, must have shot this guy. Um, and basically it turns out that um, 
the this guy comes up and robs, uh, tries to rob the father who's there just trying to fix something uh, at his as his uh, son's place, and um, they get into a shooting. The, the father's uh, struck by multiple shots and he happens to um, shoot the bad guy and they both die on scene. Um, so tragic event where, you know, you're on the phone with your father as, as you know, you hear, you know, him get shot and killed. Um, but it's just, it, it, you know, we think, uh, and it always happens, you know, when we're training, we always think like, okay, if this person does this, I'll draw my firearm and I'll stop the threat. Like that's always our goal, but yeah. we don't realize that, you know, bullets come both ways. I mean, we realize it, right. But, and, you know, we don't really think about it. And, and um, so even you could be the best marksmanship, you know, instructor or the, the, the greatest uh, shooter around. Um, but, you know, Navy SEALs die, you know, uh, force recon Marines die all the time. It's not necessarily the skill of the person who's robbing you. It, it, it's just, um, you know, those rounds don't, don't care. And, uh, unfortunately he, he, you know, he died, but he didn't go down without a fight at least. I I agree. I mean, there's definitely in times, uh, plenty of instances where really well-trained individuals, it's just not their day and they lose the fight. But I have to look at a story like this and wonder, you know, because, because what I know about most concealed carriers, to be frank, folks, most concealed carriers are not really, truly prepared for a deadly encounter. Now, it could be argued that almost nobody is really truly prepared, but there's obviously different levels of preparedness. And by and large, just because of my interactions with people in the industry, uh, people that I teach in classes that come through classes of mine, I have a pretty strong sense that most concealed carriers aren't doing the things on a daily basis that prepares them to be the best that they can be in that moment when it counts. And I look at a situation like this and I go, you know, was this guy a casual concealed carrier? You know, was it just a, well, it's nice that I carry a gun, but, you know, had never really taken a serious formal training course. Um, Did he consider his training or his practice to just go down to the range once a week or once a month and fire a box of rounds? Because I'll tell you, that's not enough. Here's the other thing. I see a problem. Uh, It actually says that when this whole thing happened, he was on the phone walking and talking with his son. So there's a bit of a situational awareness and sort of a mental, uh, you know, mindset uh, problem there as well. So there's some tactical errors here that were clearly made. And so we could definitely learn from this guy's unfortunate uh, demise in this story. But uh, hopefully we can, you know, take steps to limit the risk when we are out and about uh, and in trying to be aware of our surroundings, not being occupied by a conversation or by using the phone. And uh, also, let's make sure that we are doing everything we can to be as prepared as possible so we have the best chance of being the one that comes out on top. Uh, just by the report here, the, the, the good guy, the man, well, they both died, but the good guy that died, uh, 64-year-old man, he was struck multiple times and died from those wounds, whereas the bad guy was only struck once in the abdomen and some, somehow died. Uh, that's probably, you know, I think that was a little bit of a lucky shot probably that the, that the 64-year-old man got off on him. And uh, it, it, would, it would seem by the multiple hits on, on, on the, the older guy, the good guy, uh, that, that the bad guy here had the upper hand. 
All right. So uh, anyway, just some interesting things to consider there. Next up, we have a story. This one's featured on our Illinois State Concealed Carry.com site, illinois.concealedcarry.com. And the story is, and this happened on April 29th. Uh, actually, that's when the story published was published, but it was right around that time. Carjacker shot and killed in Chicago. And it says here, a man was shot and killed attempting to steal a BMW. And uh, that was around 4.30 a.m. on a Friday. The owner of a 2015 BMW told detectives a Volkswagen rear-ended him. We, we've talked about this before, Matthew and Jacob yeah. and I as well. You're talking about how sometimes some of these encounters, some of these deadly force encounters that might occur when we're in the vehicle might start with some sort of accident, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that's intentional or not. Uh, but a lot of times, I mean, just watch any high-speed chase uh, in LA, <laughs> you know, where guys are, you know, the, the, the dude is trying to, he's doing everything he can to get away from the cops and Sometimes they'll ram a car just to get that driver's attention, make them think, oh, oh no, I've been in an accident. And then they hop out or they unlock their door and that carjacker just jumps in and takes another car. And then he's got another, you know, because he he just ran the other car down to flat tires or whatever, you know. And so now he's got a fresh car, fresh set of wheels and away he goes. So that's how this situation started was with a collision from the rear end. And the man first got out. See, look. He did what almost all of us would do, but we've got to actually use our brain in these situations and go, wait a minute. I need to evaluate and make sure this isn't something that was intentional because they're trying to do something to me. It says here, the man first got out to look at the damage, then returned to the car for his cell phone. Ooh, so he probably turned his back on the guy. The, the, the driver of the other vehicle got out and then approached him with a gun drawn. The 22-year-old carjacker demanded the keys to the BMW and forced the owner inside. It wasn't just good enough for him to say, thanks for the car, see you later. He was taking the owner with him. That is a really bad situation to be in. Once inside the car, the owner was able to get a hold of his gun and shot the would-be, would-be carjacker in the head. Whew. Wow, yeah. spicy. <laughs> yeah. Um that's, that's, that's wild stuff right there. So, And it kind of sounds to me, based on how this is stated that maybe that gun was just in the car somewhere he was able to get access to it i don't know maybe he had it on his person but uh this is quite a quite an interesting story what's your take matthew yeah i I mean i wouldn't want to put in the insurance claim on that vehicle have (laughs) it like cleaned and everything i I think that's a total loss but um yeah i mean you know you you put it perfectly you don't know when or how this the event if it happens is going to take place so um, you know, you kind of have to always, you can't be overly paranoid, but you have to be prepared, right? Um, there's a, there's a line between being paranoid and being prepared and, and having, you know, some situational awareness. Um, you know, it, it, people act violently and, um, you know, when they want something and whether it's your car, your, your phone or you, um, they're going to act violently to get it. Um, that's, you know, control technique. So, Good thing that this guy responded correctly, um, and, and, and yeah, just don't give up. You know, and, and it's I'm I'm thinking that I'm imagining as this is going down that if he had the gun on his person or even if it was in the car somewhere that he was waiting for an opportunity to use the gun rather than this guy has a gun drawn on me. I'm going to try to draw my gun and shoot him out here. I, I'm thinking that you know he he actually used some sort of timing where he said I'm going to wait for the the proper time so I can respond appropriately and end the threat. So um, pretty cool story, I think. 
Yeah, man. It is a good story. Now, Matthew, are we up to that point where you got to take off? I am. I'm sorry. I do have to go pick up my daughter from school. So, hey, man, it happens. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it's my bad for uh, getting delayed and starting a little bit late. So, we're up against that wall for Matthew. He's going to head out. Folks, uh, give him a warm goodbye. <laughs> we'll see him again Bye, guys. soon. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, buddy. Um, so, it looks like I'm going to wrap this up alone. Um, on foxnews.com, next story. This happened in Lantana, Florida. The headline is. Deputies say man shoots man who stole car with boy age six inside. This is pretty pretty crazy stuff here as well. So sheriff's investigators say a Florida father chased down and shot a man who stole his car with his six-year-old son inside. Palm Beach County Sheriff's officials say 29-year-old Lamar Thurman remains in critical condition following the shooting. This is the, uh, the guy, the carjacker that took the car. Uh, the father left his, this is a big no-no, guys, left his 2012 Honda running while saying goodbye to friends around 2.30 a.m. Saturday. Now, just because I say it's not a good idea, it doesn't mean that, I mean, don't we all probably at some point do something like this? I know I have. Try not to, though. <clears throat> so he's obviously been over at some friend's house, some sort of uh, get-together, gathering, whatever, right? Saying goodbye to their friends it's around two thirty in the morning, uh, and so he's started the car. The son is probably sleeping. You know, I mean, it's two thirty a.m., uh, and uh, the carjacker at that point jumps in and takes off. The father and his friends called nine one one and drove after the vehicle. All right, so this is interesting, right? Because uh, normally I would say don't do this, right? Especially if it's just the car. But we have the additional variable here of this is a father going after his son. Now, chances are that carjacker, at least at the time of taking the car, doesn't even realize there's a child in that car. Not that that would necessarily deter him from taking it, but that changes things in a big way. So sheriff's, uh, the sheriff says that uh, the, the group followed Thurman for five miles where he crashed the car. Oof, I hope that uh, little boy was buckled in. As they went to grab the boy from the car, Thurman, the carjacker, drove away again. The father pulled out a gun and started shooting. Whew. Fortunately, the boy was not injured. Thurman, the carjacker, is on probation for carjacking an 86-year-old woman in 2016. Repeat offender. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, so this is, boy, this is a wild story. So again, generally speaking, it is not a good tactic to go after a stolen car. Uh, to t take the law, so to speak, into your own hands. But I'll say, I don't think I would blame this guy one bit. His child is in that vehicle. I'm pretty sure I'd be doing the same thing. We need to use care. We need to use caution. There is that potential, too, of because we're chasing him down, he, it may cause him to take even greater risks, which might further endanger our child. So there's so much, you know, there's so much being weighed here as far as these variables, these different factors, like a lot of pros, a lot of cons. Um, obviously, your child is, has been kidnapped. That's a big problem. That needs to be solved. Um, at the same time, we gotta we gotta we gotta be considering all these things, right? So the crazy thing here is they do get the opportunity to catch up to him, and when he tries to take off again, the father pulls out his gun and shoots. Boy, if there ever was a time when you need to make sure your skills are up to stuff, this is that time. You need to use good judgment. 
You need to have confidence that you can make the shot that you got to take because the problem isn't solved if you end up in the process killing your child, right? So that is a scary situation. But this father made that call and he fortunately succeeded in stopping this uh, this uh, kidnapping, right? Crazy story out of Florida there. So um, yeah, you know what? I'm curious what the listeners are thinking about this. Feel free anytime. Shoot us an email, podcast at concealedcarry.com. Tell us how you would solve this situation. What would you do? And what are some of the things that you would do to help mitigate the risks as you maybe perhaps pursue this guy and maybe even have to use deadly force against him while he's in your car with your child? All right. What are some of the things you would do to mitigate that risk and make sure that you are up to par with your skills and your abilities to be able to solve this problem without bringing further harm or injury to your child. Crazy stuff. Just responding to a comment here from Jared, actually, and Jared said, uh, he typed, anyone that has not been involved in a one-on-one deadly encounter is not truly prepared. And uh, that I, I, I agree with that statement, generally speaking, but here's the thing. Uh, and I have gotten kind of in arguments with people occasionally because they'll say, well, you know, what, what business do you have to be talking about such and such topic? Have you ever been in a shooting yourself? Mm, no. But does that necessarily disqualify a person from having the skills and skill sets uh, to handle situations like deadly force encounters? Uh, and I don't think so because I think there's plenty of evidence that would suggest if individuals have certain skills and abilities because they've worked at it. They've developed those skills to a high level. Their mindset is in the right place. Their uh, knowledge of the law is sound. There's plenty of evidence that shows people that have been prepared in the right way are going to respond just fine when the crap hits the fan. Here's the thing. Even if, so, you know, we sometimes place a lot of faith in a person that has been in a shooting. Even if it's just one shooting, we're like, wow, he's really lived it. He knows what he's talking about. And I'll say this much. I have, uh, I won't ever take anything away from a person that has been in a situation like that. I won't call them right out and be like, you're wrong, you know, or, or, or really, I'm not going to do that because that's not, that's not my place. But I have heard people that have been involved in shootings say things that, I'm pretty certain are not correct or not tactically sound. And they might be led to say certain things because of their own experience, but it's entirely possible that they survived their own shooting because they got lucky. <laughs> That's entirely possible. Um, and it's still, at the end of the day, it's only a sample size of one. Few people have been in more than one shooting, but there are certainly those examples as well. Now, if someone could say, I have been in a dozen, you know, shootings, then we're starting to get somewhere. Okay, maybe it doesn't even take a dozen, but when someone says I've been in a shooting and therefore what I say is the law, it's still only a sample size of one. Every situation is different. So just because a person has used a gun in self-defense does not instantly make them an expert in all things related to tactics and shooting in a deadly force encounter. So again, I respect them for doing, for being able to do what they did, 
But uh, just because they came through that on the other side and they're living to tell the tale does not mean that they know everything as it relates to, um, like I said, tactics and shooting and, and so forth. But anyway, just kind of wanted to throw that out there. I think that's something interesting to consider. All right. So, uh, Sean says, I would have had the kid home before 2 a.m. and not left the car running, but that's just me. I'm kind of in the same boat. <laughs> we're, we're pretty, we're, we're sticklers here in the Bowman household for getting the kids to bed at a reasonable hour uh, anyway. But, you know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, that's a good comment too, Trey. Just because you decide to carry doesn't mean you're prepared. You can cause more damage if not completely trained and ready to act. Yeah, I agree with that. All righty. Now, i uh, got one last story here. Realtors with concealed carry permits confront men inside vacant property. This is an interesting thing to consider, you know, and I have friends that are that are real estate agents and several of them do carry a gun. In fact, I had uh, one of them come through a concealed carry course because of this very reason. As a realtor, you, you may often be frequenting uh, properties that are vacant or where nobody's around. Uh, and you don't know what you're encountering when you go in there. And you might not necessarily always have the liberty due to your interaction with a client. You don't want to necessarily freak them out. So you might not always have the the opportunity or the liberty to do what I would recommend with, with situations like this, which would be if, you, you know, anytime, like when I, when I leave on vacation, for instance, and, and the house is vacant for a time, uh, we, of course we, we have certain things in place, uh, security wise to, uh, protect, uh, the home while we're away. But, uh, you know, I come home and I'm going to do a little walk around and just observe the home from the outside because I don't want to walk into a situation where somebody's already in my home when I return and I don't know this, okay, and I'm not prepared for it because I, you know, I'm not paying attention or whatever. Um, plenty of home invasions and attacks upon homeowners have occurred where they come home, and sometimes it's, you don't even have to be gone for that long. You just run to the grocery store. Maybe somebody is kind of scoping your place out. They see you leave, and and they're familiar enough with your routine or whatever it is, or the, or they just they can just tell that this person's left the home. The home is vacant. They might use that opportunity to get inside your home, try to get whatever they can, and get out of there. Um, but you realize, oh, I forgot my shopping list, or I forgot my wallet, or whatever it is, and you turn around and go home, and you go right into the garage, or you know that's that's pretty typical for a lot of people. And this is, I've seen this kind of situation happen a number of times where homeowner opens a garage door. Pulls in, hops out, runs through the garage door, the man, you know, the door between the house and the in the in the garage, and walk right into a burglary in process in progress, and not realize that that's what they've done. And before they realize what's going on, they're being attacked, stabbed, shot, whatever. So uh, anyway, we just need to we. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, when I've been gone for a while, especially, I'll walk around the home, check the windows, check doors, and then eventually I'll go in the home. And if it, me and my family have been gone, I actually go into the home alone first. And I tell them, stay in the car. Let me go check things out. And using tactically sound uh, movements and tactics inside the home, proceed through the house and just check everything out, make sure it's all good uh, before I let my family and kids come in. Anyway, or wife and kids. So this is an interesting situation. Realtors with concealed carry permits confront man inside vacant property. This happened in Hamilton, Ohio, where two realtors came face-to-face with a man who threatened to shoot them inside one of their properties. The house on South 11th Street in Hamilton is vacant, but last month, Kyle Moracle, 
and his father, Phil, got a call that someone had broken in. The next day, they went out to the property and found Derek Miller inside. Miller was charged with assault, menacing, and trespassing. Uh, Kyle, one of the uh, owners of this home, uh, or realtors, whatever, he described the encounter. He told us he had a gun and a knife. He was either going to shoot us or stab us, and he punched me in my face. When I thought he could be a threat to Kyle, this is his father speaking now, yeah, I got involved physically with him, and I'll be 63 in May, and I forgot all about that. It was about my son and making sure this thing did did not escalate to something somebody being harmed or killed. Both of them have permits to carry concealed. Kyle pulled out his gun, but fortunately he did not have to use it. We held him down on the ground, and a neighbor called the police to help us. He heard us screaming. This is quite a scary situation. So here's the thing, though. They got a call saying that some, you know, they got, it just says they got a call that someone had broken into the home. Uh, they decided to go and check it out. Now, yeah, it might be reasonable to think, okay, somebody, you know, I got a call about somebody breaking into the house yesterday. Surely they broke in, they left, they're gone. All right, there's no harm in me going into the home uh, a day later or whatever. Uh, but again, it might not have been a bad idea to call police and have them meet you there. Uh, I'm assuming a report's got to be filed as to the actual break-in. Now, maybe that's been done already, but it's. I'm pretty sure that your local police department would not complain if you called and said, hey, we're going in to check out this house. We filed the report yesterday, but we haven't been in there yet to check the damage. Would you mind sending one of your officers, one of your units over to meet me uh, so we can you know, make sure everything's cool before we go in? Okay. So that's probably the the better plan here. But fortunately, these guys were carrying. They were able to draw, or one of them was, and fortunately did not have to fire a shot. The problem was solved, but people could have gotten a lot more seriously hurt in the process. All right. Tris says, I've come home to the front door cracked open. I proceeded to clear the house. Most likely one of the kids didn't shut the door all the way. Uh, So yeah, I I actually had a weird situation not too long ago where my wife was gone and I was gone. We were actually in different places and I got a call from our alarm company saying, you know, the alarm had gone off and I thought, oh, do you, well, first thing I did is actually called my wife and she's like, no, I'm not there. And I'm like, hmm, because I thought maybe it was a false alarm. And uh, so anyway, I went, I, I went back to the house. Police had already been notified and I was going to sit out front and, and, you know, make sure that everything was, was cool. I wasn't going to go inside or anything. I was waiting for police to respond. They were sure taking a long time. After sitting there for some time, uh, I very carefully approached the front of the house. Uh, I could see that the front door was ajar. Uh, it did not look like it had been fiddled with. Okay. It hadn't been kicked in or broken or anything like that. Okay. So it's just open. So I thought, mm, this looks like somebody may have not gotten that fully pulled behind them and latched and everything. kind of wish they had used the deadbolt as well. That way you know that you don't have a problem with it not being latched. But anyway, uh, after carefully observing through windows, checking the perimeter of the home, uh, you know, cops still had not showed up. And I, was, that, I, I, I finally decided I had to just solve the problem myself. And uh, so I eventually proceeded slowly into the home. I felt reasonably confident it was not a break-in because there was no evidence of it being a break-in. And uh, sure enough, there was nobody in the home. I called and canceled the the call to the police and uh, all was well. So anyway, yeah. Things though to consider and uh, just use good sound judgment in these situations, all right? So uh, let's see. 
This is an interesting comment from Jared. I've heard lots of people say, I, I will do blank in blank situation, but you never really know. And the mental and physical aspects of being in a situation where you honestly believe your life is in danger and you believe you're going to need to take another person's life will stick with you forever. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good comment, buddy. I appreciate uh, you sharing that with us. All righty. So uh, that brings us up to, oh, there was one, we have a bonus story here. And this is... Um, not really a justified save per se. I mean, although actually I'd ha- kind of have to say it is. I mean, there was no gun involved. That's the thing, at least from the from the uh, uh, the good guy side of things. And I was just thinking about this recent shooting um, at the uh, school, uh, at the college, um, having a br- blank all of a sudden. Help me out, folks. Uh, where was the recent shooting at the at the college? Um, <laughs> Man, I, I had it here. I don't have the story pulled up my screen. That's why I'm trying to remember it. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Where the student actually stepped in. North Carolina, that's where it was. Yeah, here we go. Uh, so there was two students shot and killed um, at that shooting. Uh, this happened at uh, North Carolina, uh, University of North Carolina, Charlotte. There we go. I want to make sure I got the full correct name there. And uh, there was there was a lockdown, of course. Uh, the shooter came on 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 campus with a pistol, opened fire. And uh, what was really remarkable about the situation is that one of those killed was a student that uh, uh, actually tackled the the shooter, and in the process, he took some bullets. And that was unfortunate, but I thought it was remarkable that this young man had the presence of mind to do what he did and to frankly give up himself. Um, you know, as, as, as essentially a sacrifice to, uh, limiting the damage. Sometimes all it takes is that initial, you know, just, just confronting that shooter. We can't always promise or guarantee this is how it's going to go down, but sometimes just confronting that shooter in an aggressive way will be all that it takes to stop the shooting in some cases, or at least slow them down and keep things from getting worse. So, Pretty remarkable stuff. Uh, I was trying to find, I'm sorry, I forgot the one student's name. I was trying to find it real quick here. He ought to be hailed and recognized as a hero. So again, I didn't have that story prepared. I thought it was here and realized it wasn't. I have another story. You may have heard this story as well. This one was remarkable. Uh, Actually, while we were at the, I think at the, was it the NRA show, I think is when this happened, not too long ago. Uh, Maybe it was just before that. I remember I was I was somewhere, but there was a shooting at the synagogue in San Diego, right? That was pretty crazy. Yeah, this was just uh, yeah, it was when we were in in, in uh, Indianapolis, and this shooter right came into the synagogue, uh, but during the process, this other guy confronted him, right? And quoting the guy, the hero, he actually says he went berserk. Okay, he said, "I knew I had to be within five feet of this guy so his rifle couldn't get to me." So I immediately ran toward him, and I yelled as loud as I could, and he was scared. I scared the heck out of him. Looking back, it was kind of a crazy idea to do it, but I did it. He said he heard gunshots, and everybody got up and started trying to get out the back door. So I, for whatever reason, didn't do that. I ran the other way. I ran towards the gunshots. And because of the way that this man, uh, Oscar Stewart, ran at this shooter at this California synagogue and aggressively screamed at him, it scared that shooter enough, and that helped bring that situation also 
to a resolution. Uh, actually, an off-duty Border Patrol agent who was, again, off-duty, but he was carrying a gun, he was able to uh, get his gun out and they were able to stop this guy from escaping. He was he was jumping into a car to make his escape, and they were able to keep that from happening and also keep him from hurting other people. So pretty remarkable stuff, both the, what this uh, combat vet okay, in San Diego who stepped up to the plate and brought himself in into harm's way to scare the shooter. Now, that may not, like I said, happen every time. But in this case, for whatever reason, with that particular individual – in the way that this combat vet aggressively screamed at him, he was able to make a difference. That's pretty remarkable. And again, we want to remember the uh, heroism of that student at University of North Carolina, Charlotte. So anyway, cool things there to kind of, I think, end on and, and note in our mind and in our memory. And I would just say, I hope that we can all mentally, physically, uh, emotionally prepare ourselves a little bit better each day. Uh, in the event that something like this were to happen to us, whether it's an active shooting situation, whether it's a break into our home, whether it's a carjacking, that we're ready to respond and that when we need to, we respond aggressively, that we are prepared to do whatever it takes to live to see another day, to be the one that emerges victorious out of that situation. Uh, these bad people would do us harm, and we don't want the bad guys to win. So anyway, get out there, get training, take some classes, work on your mindset, work on your knowledge of the law. I think those are all good lessons to um, remember. And as David here says, plan for the worst, hope for the best. That's true. Absolutely. All righty. So that brings us to a wrap here. And actually at the end of, of these Tuesday episodes, we do our giveaway announcement for the weekly giveaway on the podcast. This week we are giving away a concealedcarry.com logo ball cap. Uh, we had a bunch of you sign up this week. So thanks very much. It's good to see all these signups. Um, I am going to go ahead and pick a winner here momentarily. All right. So this is always an exciting time. <clears throat> uh, let's see here. How did folks do this week? Did we get a bunch of bonus entries because people shared the giveaway with their friends and family? Yeah, a few of you did. A few of you did all right. There's a, there's a few here. We could have probably done a little bit better. So make sure each week you sign up for the giveaway. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize and make sure you're signing up each week because each week the, the, the giveaway resets. All right, so, and then when you sign up, make sure you check the option where you can share the giveaway with your friends and family. Uh, and it's going to give you your own custom link that you can email that to you, to those you know. You can text it to them. You can share it on social media. And anybody that signs up, not only will they get an entry, but you're going to get a bonus entry. And so you want to make sure you're taking advantage of that, all right? So I believe a couple of our winners that have won in weeks past had multiple entries. So that may have helped them in uh, being able to uh, be selected. So that's cool stuff. All right, so here we go. I am getting ready to pick this week's winner. Prepare yourselves for the machine gun drum roll. <laughs> I never get enough of that. This week's weekly podcast giveaway winner, winner of the concealedcarry.com logo ball cap, is Eddie C., Eddie C. All right, Eddie, and he has a 
gmail.com email address. Uh, Eddie, I will be in touch with you, emailing you directly and notifying you that you are the winner. Uh, congrats to you, sir. And uh, all we'll need to get from you is not necessarily a size because they are a you know multi- they're a snapback, so you know one size fits all. Uh, but we'll need to get from you your preferred color. We'll get one of those on on its way to you. All right. So again, remember to sign up each week, folks. Concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. It's really easy. It really only takes about 10 seconds. So go to that link now. Sign up. All right. We hope that uh, next week is your chance to win. Again, this week's episode brought to you by Ammo Supply Warehouse, ammosupplywarehouse.com. And also... The uh, podcasts associated with the ConcealedCarry.com podcast family. Uh, we've got Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast. If you, you are a gun lady or you know someone that you think would be interested, well, check it out. It's a good it's a good show. And for the instructors or wannabe instructors in the room, uh, go ahead and check out the new Firearm Trainers podcast. All right. And then finally, save 15% this week off of Dummy Ammo on ConcealedCarry.com's online store. Use coupon code DUMMY, D-U-M-M-Y. So uh, also, tonight is, uh, this is, of course, we're recording this on May 7th. Uh, so if you hear this after the fact, uh, you'll, you'll miss out. But if you're local to the Denver area and you want to come check us out, uh, Jacob and I both will be at the 511 Tactical Store in Highlands Ranch where I'm teaching and presenting uh, kind of a mini shooting positions course. We're calling it Fighting from Cover, uh, learning or how to use unconventional shooting positions to be effective uh, shooting from cover. So talk about all the different unique uh, shooting positions that you can shoot from, uh, prone, you know, other low uh, positions, seated, crouched, whatever, all those sorts of things. It'll be a good good time at the 511 Tactical Store in Highlands Ranch. All right, so come check us out. That'll be at uh, 7 o'clock tonight, 7 p.m. Uh, that's Mountain Time, of course. So anyway, hope to see you there, and we'll see you this Thursday. Uh, that, let me give you a little preview. This Thursday's episode will be an interview with George Harris, who is a well-respected in, uh, instructor in the industry. He's been around, been doing things for a long time. He's actually one of the founders of the Six Hour Training Academy which is uh, pretty cool. So uh, George Harris, he, he actually recently lost his wife, unfortunately, uh, and has a foundation set up in her honor. Uh, and uh, it's a pretty cool thing. So we'll be talking with him about that, but we'll also be talking about uh, other really legit things because he knows his stuff. He's been around for a long time. So it'll be a good interview that we'll look forward to having with George Harris on Thursday. We'll see you live here on Facebook uh, at 12 noon mountain time. And of course you can't join us live. Well, you'll, you'll catch it later in the podcast feed. So with that, we'll let you all go. A reminder to train right, train often and train safe. So you can fight hard, fight fast and fight true. Take care. that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.